what happens when an unstoppable force meets an immovable object. Physics poses that theoretical question. And sometimes when it comes to what's happening in our world and our culture, when it comes to Christianity and the forces we know arrayed against it, we think in those terms. Unstoppable force, sure, we've got a message to proclaim, but there are so many seemingly immovable objects out there. Can we make any progress? Can we make a difference in this world? Well, this morning I want to show you that our message and the God who gives us our message is unstoppable and there is nothing and no one that can stop our God. And we're going to see this in the last chapter of the book of Acts. We're going to finish our study in the book of Acts this morning. Praise the Lord. It's been a great, great study. And we're in Acts chapter 28. Some of you thought this day would never get here. We've been in Acts for a while. If you're visiting with us this morning, we've been in Acts for a long time. It's 28 chapters. It takes a while. But it is rich and it's been a wonderful study. Acts chapter 28 verse 1 is where we will begin reading. I'd like to ask you this morning if you're physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Weren't you blessed by the music this morning? Wow, man. I choose to worship. What a great song and singing about the return of Christ and Jesus being the lion and the lamb. Wow. Uh, if you can't worship to that, your worshiper is broken. And you need to get it fixed. Amen? Acts 28, verse 1. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat. And let me just parenthetically say here, I hate snakes. A viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery, and Paul visited him and prayed, and putting his hands on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly, and when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. After three months, we set sail in a ship that had wintered in the island, a ship of Alexandria with the twin gods as a figurehead. Putting in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days, and from there we made a circuit and arrived to Regium. And after one day, a south wind sprang up, and on the second day, we came to Puteoli. And there we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And so we came to Rome. Let's pray together this morning. Father, we bow our hearts before you this morning, 
recognizing in this moment how much we need you. Lord, you are the reason that we're here. You are the center of attention. And we want to see your name exalted. And we want to draw closer to you. And so, Lord, as your word goes forth, would you open the eyes of our hearts by the power of your spirit that we would see the truth of Scripture, grasp the truths of Scripture, and, Lord, be moved, inclined to respond to the truths of Scripture. Lord, have your way in our midst. May the name of Jesus be exalted in this place. May we leave today saying, Hallelujah, what a Savior. We love you, we praise you, we exalt you. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. At the end of his third missionary journey during his time in Jerusalem, Paul uh, was taken into custody by Roman soldiers. And the reason he was taken into custody is because the Jewish mob that had taken hold of him wanted to kill him, driven by the Jewish religious leaders. And so the Roman soldiers wanted to ascertain what was happening with this man named Paul, and they took him into custody to keep him safe from the mob, to keep him safe from assassins. They eventually sent him over to Caesarea on the coast of the Mediterranean to let the Roman governor try to figure out what's going on with the situation. The religious leaders followed Paul to Caesarea and made their case against him because they wanted the Romans to release Paul to their custody so that they could try him and have him killed. They believed that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the message Paul preached, was undermining their, their culture, their Judaism, and they wanted Paul silenced. So Paul, seeing that it would end badly if he was handed over to the Jews, exercised his right as a Roman citizen and appealed to Caesar. He said, I want Caesar to hear my case. And so because he appealed to Caesar, they had to send him to Caesar. And so we saw earlier in Acts that he is put on a ship with some Roman soldiers to guard him, with some traveling companions who were Christians with him, like Luke and some others, and some other prisoners. And the goal was to get him to Rome. Well, as this ship made it, uh, or made its way through the Mediterranean, the stormy Mediterranean, it eventually found itself in the middle of a storm that it could not escape. And this ship was wrecked uh, in the sea. And we saw last week that in the middle of the shipwreck, God rescued them, and all the 200-plus passengers on the ship made it safely to an island. And we see here in chapter 28, the island is called Malta, right there in the Mediterranean Sea. And there's some interesting things that happen here on Malta, interesting things that happen when he gets to Rome. So I want to just kind of walk through chapter 28, and I want to point out for you as we work our way through this chapter some, some barriers, if you will, some, uh, some, some things that, that try to stop the gospel but cannot. And so just bear with me as I walk you through five things that cannot stop the gospel. Five things that cannot stop the gospel. By the way, the gospel, when I say the word gospel, I mean the good news message that God has given us to proclaim. And the message is this, we are all sinners in need of a Savior. We're all separated from God by our sin. But God, in his love for us, sent his only Son to this earth. And Jesus Christ left the splendor and glory of heaven. And he took on human flesh in the womb of the Virgin Mary. He was born, he lived a matchless life, he never sinned. And of his own volition, Jesus Christ, the perfect Lamb of God, 
went to the cross, and he went to the cross for you and for me. And when Jesus Christ went to the cross, the Bible says he became sin for us. He took all of our sin on himself. And on the cross, he was taking the punishment from the Father that you and I deserve. On the cross, the Father was pouring out his wrath on God the Son, Jesus Christ, who became sin for us and died in our place. Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was taken off the cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. And early on the third day, Jesus Christ defeated death itself when he walked out of his tomb. And Jesus Christ lives forever. He reigns eternally and he is mighty to save because he's defeated our sin at the cross by dying for our sins. Because he's defeated death by walking out of the tomb, he can save you from your sin. He can give you eternal life beyond the grave. He is mighty to save. Aren't you glad for the gospel? And when you know that information that Jesus died for you and Jesus rose from the dead and you see your need for a savior, here's what the gospel says. You can turn to him in repentance and faith. You can say, Jesus, I can't save myself. I'm trusting in what you have done for me. And when we have that kind of faith, we call on his name. The Bible says, if, if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Romans 10, 13 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so Jesus died for our sins. He rose from the dead. And because of that, any sinner who turns from their sins and turns to Christ can be saved. That's good news, right? And that's the message that God has given the church to proclaim. And there are all of these forces in our culture, just like in the first century, that are trying to stop the proclamation of that message. And I'm here to tell you, nothing and no one can stop it. So let me show you these five things that cannot stop the gospel. Number one, physical danger cannot stop the gospel. Physical danger cannot stop the gospel. Verses 1 through 5, they arrive there uh, on Malta. The the native people who lived there, that word literally barbarians. And in the first century, Greeks called anyone that didn't speak the Greek language barbarians. So these are people on the island, native to the island, that did not speak Greek. And it says... They showed them kindness. I mean, I'm sure these people who uh, came in from the sea from a shipwreck looked haggard and looked tired. Remember, they went for weeks without eating uh, the, the nutrition they needed on that ship as they tried to make it through the storm. And so these, these folks on the island showed them kindness and they kindled a fire. Something about a fire, isn't there? Kindle fire to warm them up, to cook food. I mean, something about a fire. And they welcomed them all because it began to rain and was cold. And so they're gathered around the fire, trying to stay warm. And Paul there is gathering a bundle of sticks. By the way, he's a servant, right? He's an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's gathering sticks. I think that's pretty cool. That's not part of the sermon. That was just extra for you, all right? And he put them on the fire. And as he puts them on the fire, a a viper comes out because of the heat. The heat drives the viper out of the sticks and it fastens uh, to his hand. Now, the folks on the island knew what kind of snake it was. And they knew if a snake like that bites you, you're a goner. As a matter of fact, they're all just kind of waiting for him to drop dead. He's dead. He's a dead man. Yeah, he made it through the sea. He made it through the storm. But listen, he's a dead man. He's going to pay for whatever his sins are. The viper's going to get him. Justice is going to get him. And and Paul shakes it off into the fire, and he just keeps living. (laughs) And these people are shocked, and they said, well, he must be a god. If If he can survive that, he must be a god. They had it all wrong. Paul was not a, a god. Paul was a man just like uh, persons like you and I are, are humans. But Paul had a god. 
He had a personal relationship with God. And the one true God rescued him from the poison of the viper. It wasn't Paul's time to go. And so God preserves him and God protects him from this physical danger as Paul continues to go forth with the gospel. Remember, God wanted to get Paul before Caesar so he could share the gospel in Rome. And so physical danger cannot stop the gospel. And that's important because physical danger is an ever-present reality in our lives. I mean, it's a dangerous world out there, right? I mean, there are snakes and brown recluse spiders, and there are people that text when they drive. I mean, it's dangerous, right? It's a a dangerous world out there. But here's the deal. The threat of danger keeps many of us from mission. Because we're worried about our physical safety, sometimes we are reticent to go to areas that are difficult to share the gospel. David Platt, the president of our International Mission Board, says this, The unreached peoples in this world are unreached for a reason. Those that are in our world... Uh, that have never heard of Jesus or never heard a clear gospel presentation, most of them are in pockets of the world that are very hard to get to. The the danger uh, of traveling there is ever-present, and there are threats against people that want to go there and share the gospel. And so the unreached are unreached for a reason, and many Christians look at that danger and say, that's not for me. I'm not going to go and share the gospel there. Someone else is going to have to do that. It's interesting, I don't get this so much anymore, but my extended family, when I first started to travel overseas and go to you know, Africa and Asia and, and different places around the world, Europe, uh, to, for, you know, for mission trips, for short-term mission trips, I'd have family members say, I wouldn't go there. I wouldn't go there. I mean, what are you doing? I wouldn't go there. Listen, if we all say, I wouldn't go there, then they're never going to hear the good news. Somebody's got to go, right? And we've got to understand That physical danger cannot stop the gospel. You see, God is our protector, and we can trust him when we go forth with the gospel. Psalm uh, 27.1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? God is my protector. Psalm 34.7 speaks of God's angels encamping around us, protecting us. Listen to me. If you are going forth for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, God is your protector, and he will watch over you. Say, wait a minute, Wade. Doesn't harm come to people sometimes? Yes, it does, when God allows it. But I want you to hear me carefully. Nothing can touch your life unless God allows it. And if God allows it, he has a purpose behind it. I love this quote from Lottie Moon, one of my favorite quotes from her. You see the Lottie Moon Christmas offering over there on the walls where celebrating her life in the late 1800s of taking the gospel to China as a single lady. And we take up this offering every year around this time of year to, to undergird the mission efforts to get the good news to the very ends of the earth. And Lottie Moon said this, I have a firm conviction that I am immortal until my work is done. Think about that. Listen to me. Nothing can hurt you. Nothing can stop you until God says your work is finished, right? So we can, as believers in Jesus Christ, we can go forth with confidence that God is our protector. And nothing can touch our life unless God allows it. I read this interesting anecdote about the early Native Americans. How they had a unique practice of training young braves. As a coming-of-age ceremony, some of the tribes would teach their 
their teenagers to hunt and scout and to fish, and they would put them to a final test. They would take the young brave uh, out into the dense forest to spend the entire night alone. They would blindfold uh, this young man so he could not see where he was, and they would leave him in the forest. When the blindfold would be removed, there was nothing but thick woods and dense darkness. And that brave would sit there through the night and, and hear twigs snapping around and wonder if it's a wild animal ready to pounce. After what seemed like an eternity, dawn would break. And the young brave would be able to see what was all around him. He would look around and see the, the trees and the forest floor and the outline of a path. And then, to his utter astonishment... This young brave would behold the figure of a man standing just a few feet away, armed with a bow and arrow. And that man was his father, who was with him all night long. Now I want you to know, when it feels like we are surrounded by danger, when it feels like we are surrounded by enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ, I want you to know your Father is right there with you, and He will protect you. He will watch over you until your work on earth is done. Amen? And so physical danger cannot stop the gospel. Number two, false religions cannot stop the gospel. False religions cannot stop the gospel. We see the superstition of these people when they say, well, you know, he escaped the sea, but... But a viper fastening to his hand means that he has done something wrong. No doubt this man is a murderer. And then look at what happens in verse 6. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. And so now these, these folks on the island believe that Paul is deity. They were very superstitious. They saw something supernatural and they believed that the, the person was deity. Now in the neighborhood, it says, of that place where lands belonged to the chief man of the island. And this chief man of the island, Publius, who received them and entertained them hospitably for three days. But his father, it says in verse 8, lay sick with fever and dysentery. So Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hands on him, healed him. When this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put on board whatever we needed. Paul here on this island of Malta experiences the superstitious beliefs of a pagan culture. They are led astray uh, in paganism. They do not understand the truth about the one true God. And so God moves supernaturally by allowing Paul to pray over sick people, and, and God healed them through Paul's prayers. And this supernatural moving gives Paul credibility and, and gives his message credibility. No, There's no question Paul here is sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as God allows him to pray and see people healed, people are listening to his message. And then it says in verse 10, God gave Paul favor with the people. They were so overwhelmed with who Paul was, they loaded them up with goods. Uh, to help them along in their journey. So what do we learn from that? Even in the midst of a pagan, superstitious culture, the gospel can go forth by the power of God. You see, the gospel right now is penetrating all world religions and cults. You need to understand that. Uh, we could spend a lot of time up here talking about the different world religions, 
the different belief systems, the different cultural beliefs that undergird those world religions. We could talk about cults, and here's what you need to understand. The gospel is moving forth in every world religion and in every cult. People are getting saved from those backgrounds. Why? Because false religions cannot stop the gospel. Last week we saw a video about a witch doctor, and the witch doctor met Christ and was saved and and went back to destroy the building where the witch doctor met with the people as a symbolic way of saying, that life is over. I'm I'm a new person in Christ. So God is saving witch doctors from animism, and God is saving people from Hindu backgrounds and Buddhist backgrounds and Muslim backgrounds. God is saving people who were formerly atheists. God is saving people all over this world. And there is no false religion that can stop the gospel. Third, imprisonment cannot stop the gospel. Imprisonment cannot stop the gospel. Starting there in verse 11, it speaks of how they made it to Rome, interesting uh, travel details uh, there as they make their way into Syracuse. There in verse 12, Syracuse was uh, a port on what we now call modern-day Sicily. And then from Syracuse, they sailed over to the Italian mainland where the Roman Empire was centered in the city of Rome. Uh, they made a circuit, arrived at Regium, a, a coastal city, sailed farther up the coast to Puteoli, another coastal city. Then they began on the Appian Way, this road, this highway, major highway towards Rome. And as they go there, brothers meet them uh, about 43 miles away in a place called uh, the Forum of Appius, and a little 12 miles closer to Rome in the Three Taverns. They're, by, they're met by Christians, and Paul is encouraged. But look at what it says in verse 16. When we had come into Rome... Or when we came into Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who guarded him. Now, this was not, uh, you know, hard imprisonment where he's cast into a, a deep, deep dungeon, but he is in prison. He is chained in a home that he had to provide the resources for. Uh, Paul is chained to a Roman soldier. And so Paul here is in imprisonment. And the question becomes. Can Paul do anything for Jesus while he's in prison? Can he do anything while he's chained to a Roman soldier, confined to a house? Is there any impact Paul can have? Well, let me share with you what happens. In his confinement, Paul actively shared Christ. And we know that he actively shared Christ with soldiers. With soldiers. During this imprisonment, we know he wrote letters like Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. And look what it says over in Philippians chapter 1. Turn there with me. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul writes, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. He's talking about being in prison. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for." Christ. Hear what he just said there? The whole imperial guard, those sent to guard me, are hearing about Jesus Christ. So can you imagine how this went? Paul's there in some kind of quarters in Rome that he had to provide the resources for to add insult to injury. Not only were you to be confined to a space, you had to get somebody to pay for that space. So he's in this space, and other Christians are probably supporting him to be able to have this location where he is in under house arrest. And, 
And every six hours, a Roman soldier shows up, and the one who is there unhooks himself from the chain, and a new Roman soldier is chained to Paul. And I can just imagine how the conversation went. Maybe something like this. Hi there. My name's Paul, but that's not always been my name. My name used to be Saul. Let me tell you how my name changed. And then just begin to share with him the road to Damascus, his conversion, his story. And just he was six hours. I mean, six hours, he's there able to talk to these Roman soldiers, these Roman guards about Jesus. And we see from Philippians, Roman soldiers are getting saved. They're talking about Jesus Christ. And so in his confinement, Paul actively shared Christ with soldiers. And also in his confinement, Paul actively shared Christ with others. There are others that maybe heard of Paul and through different situations came into contact with Paul. Paul wrote a very interesting letter called Philemon. It's in one chapter, and that one chapter shares an interesting story about a young man that Paul ran into in Rome. And the, 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 the man's name was Onesimus. Onesimus. And Onesimus was a runaway slave. And Paul meets him somehow in Rome during his imprisonment, and Paul leads him to Christ. Matter of fact, look with me in Philemon, right after Titus, before Hebrews. Philemon, it's only one chapter, so look in verses 9 and 10. He says, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Jesus Christ. He's in prison in Rome. I appeal to you for my... He's writing to Philemon, who was this, the owner of this slave, Onesimus. And Philemon was a believer in Christ. So he says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. In other words, I led him to Christ. He's my spiritual son. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent. Now look what he says in verse 16. I'm sending him back to you, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. Hey, this young man, Onesimus, ran away. He's a runaway slave, which was fiercely punished in the Roman Empire. But while he was running away in Rome, he was saved. And now Paul is sending him back, and the principles of Christianity are undermining the institution of slavery. Hey, Philemon, this guy coming back to you, he is a brother now. That'll change your interaction. And I believe that it was Christianity spreading through the Roman Empire that destroyed slavery. Those principles that are in place. And so we see here that even in prison, Paul is actively sharing Christ and leading men like Onesimus, hopeless and desperate, leading him to Christ. And so imprisonment cannot stop the gospel. Now Paul was interesting. Over Philippians 1, he said, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Can you imagine trying to control somebody like that? Can you imagine some authority saying, Paul, if you don't stop preaching, we're going to kill you. And Paul says, well, if, if you give me another day to live, I can share Christ. But if you do kill me, it's better. I get to go be with Jesus. Well, we're not going to kill you then. We're not going to give you that luxury. We're going to keep you alive. And Paul says, great. Chain me to some more soldiers. I can share Christ some more. How do you stop someone like that? Answer is, you can't. Imprisonment cannot stop the gospel. Number four, very quickly, unbelief cannot stop the gospel. Unbelief cannot stop the gospel. Look back with me in the 28th chapter of Acts. 
Look in verse 17. After three days, he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And when they had gathered, he said to them, Paul said to them, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. When they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I've asked to see you and speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel, i.e. Jesus, the hope of Israel, that I'm wearing this chain. They said to him, we have received no letters from Judea about you, and none of the brothers coming here has reported or spoken any evil about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are. For with regard to this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. When they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in greater numbers. From morning until evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them both about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. So uh, Paul gathers these Jews. He opens the Jewish Bible, what we call the Old Testament. And from the Bible, he preaches about Jesus, how the entire scripture points to Jesus Christ. And it says there uh, in verse 24, some, everyone say some, some were convinced by what he said, but others, say others, others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul had made one statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, you will indeed hear but never understand. You will indeed see but never perceive. This people's heart has grown dull. With their ears they can barely hear. Their eyes have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. So Paul quotes Isaiah. He's saying, hey, you Jewish folks here that that choose to reject Jesus Christ, you are living out what Isaiah said was true of you. Your heart is dull, so you do not have ears to hear. They were unbelievers. So what do we see happen here in this text? We learn that though there will be many people that, that do not believe, others scoffed, they do not believe, there will be many that do. Some, it says, believed. And so you and I can go forth with confidence that our God saves. But I want to give you a heads up. When you go to a family member or a coworker or a classmate or a friend or a stranger and you begin to share the good news, you need to understand some are going to hear you out and want to know more. Some may at that very moment call upon the name of Jesus and be, and be saved right there, and you have a front row seat to see that. Some may flatly and sometimes fiercely reject you. Now, now listen to me. Their response is none of your business. Your job is to share. You've heard about the ball being in someone else's court. You share, and the ball is in their court as to how they will respond. It's none of your business. But you can have a clear conscience if you will, in the power of the Holy Spirit, share that good news with others and leave the rest in God's hands. Unbelief cannot stop the gospel. If you go and and, and knock on every door in your neighborhood today and you're sharing Jesus Christ, you will have people close the door in your face and you will have people reject your message, but you will have some that are saved. And that's glorious, isn't it? Unbelief cannot stop the gospel, which leads to number five, and we'll be through. We've talked about all the things that cannot stop the gospel. Physical danger cannot stop it. 
False religions cannot stop it. Imprisonment cannot stop it. Unbelief cannot stop it. Number five, political leaders cannot stop the gospel. Now, isn't it interesting that in God's providence, this is the last sermon after months and months in Acts, and it's the Sunday before a major political election, and the last point of the last sermon in the book of Acts is about politics. I just think it's interesting. And you and I need to understand that political leaders cannot stop the gospel. Look what happens in verse 30. It says, He, Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Now, scholars believe that Paul, based upon church tradition and history, Paul was... Uh, freed from this imprisonment, and he ministered for a little bit longer than he was arrested again, and that's when he was killed um, for his proclamation of Jesus Christ. But here for two years, he's under house arrest, chained to Roman soldiers, waiting for his opportunity to stand before Caesar. Now remember who the Caesar was during this time. His name was Nero. And Nero, if you know just a little bit about Roman history, Nero was a madman. He was a wicked, wicked leader. But here's what's happening. Nero was a wicked leader who could not stop the gospel from infiltrating his kingdom. Because, hold your place, but turn to Philippians 4 with me. Let me show you what happens in Philippians again. Paul's writing this letter from jail. I want you to see his comment he makes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 21. Philippians chapter 4, verse 21, he's writing to Christians in Philippi, writing from Roman imprisonment. Look what he says. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those, watch this, of Caesar's household. You know what's happening here? Folks that are close to Caesar, the nobility, maybe even family members of Nero, the madman, are hearing the gospel and giving their lives to Jesus, and they're saved. And while Nero thinks he's in control, the gospel is infiltrating his kingdom. A Puritan writer from the 16th century wrote this, Paul was Nero's prisoner, but Nero was much more God's. Nero thought he was in control. He thought he was calling the shots. The most, the most powerful man politically on the face of the earth. And yet God's kingdom is infiltrating his kingdom. And here's what's interesting. Most scholars date the fall of Rome to about the 5th century A.D. But the kingdom of Caesar is now gone. But the kingdom of God continues to advance. Isn't that awesome? This political reality in the first century that plays such a dominant role in people's lives, it passed off the scene. The Roman Empire failed. The power of the Caesar came to an end, but the kingdom of God continued to march on, and the kingdom of God continues to march on today. It continues to advance. So you and I, cannot be intimidated by what's happening in the world or what's happening in our nation politically. There are folks that think they're in control. But really, 
as God's people are faithful to share, the gospel will just keep marching forth. And I can tell you something, beyond a shadow of a doubt, come Wednesday of this week, if we'll share the gospel, regardless of who's in power, it will be unstoppable. And that, my dear friends, is what's most important. Now, I'm like you. I've, I've been following this contentious, bewildering election season. I read uh, yesterday about a recent CBS News poll that said 82% of the people that were surveyed said this election has left them feeling disgusted. 82% of the people. And I've watched it because I care about our country. I've, I've watched what's happening. And I just want to say that integrity matters in leadership really does. And so I've had moments of concern and, and worry and anxiety about what's going to happen. Um, the question I've been asked, how are you going to vote, Wade? Or how should I vote? Well, first of all, you need to understand, I never, ever, ever endorse a candidate or a party from the pulpit. This pulpit is not for any political party. This pulpit represents the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, and that will never change. Parties come and go. Jesus Christ reigns. I will never, listen, I will never, you've never, you've never heard me endorse any political candidate or party. But I will say this. I've tried to keep the big picture in mind. I really have. Because I'm disappointed in who people have, or who have been put forth as our options. And so I look at things like political cabinets, what's happening with the Supreme Court. Uh, I look at those sorts of issues to try to make my big picture decision. And here's how I always vote. This hasn't changed in 2016, and it won't change in 2017, or it won't change in 2020. Here's how I always vote. I always vote for what I think is going to save the most babies' lives. Period. Whatever I think is going to save the most babies from their mother's womb that are being aborted in our country, I vote that way. Because I believe that over 50 million children that are, that are killed in their mother's womb is an egregious evil. And it has to come to an end. And so, listen, I have, I have one vote just like you do. And, and I don't have all the answers and, and I, I don't get it all, and, and I've been disappointed like you have, but I'm going to vote for whatever I think saves the most babies' lives. Period. And so you say, wait, what does that mean? Well, you figure all that out, and you do your own study. I'll do my study, you do your study, and you go into the voting booth on Tuesday and vote your conscience and vote for what you think is right. But here's what I want you to understand. Whether a Democrat or Republican is in power, people will still need to be saved. And we have an unstoppable good news message to share. So you and I are called to share that message. Political leaders, political realities cannot stop the gospel. So listen to me. You and I need to stop wringing our hands and we need to be the church. We need to share this message. It is desperate out there. People need to hear about Christ because Christ is the only one that can change lives. So here's the point that I want you to walk away with. Unstoppable gospel, unstoppable God. 
When the gospel is shared, the kingdom advances. Let me say it again. When the gospel is shared, the kingdom advances. Let me say it again. I'm going to keep saying it until I get an amen. When the gospel is shared, the kingdom advances. And nothing and no one can stop it. That's what Acts is about, isn't it? Physical danger, political leaders, shipwrecks, vipers. You know, just a few moments ago, I spoke about the evil of abortion in our land. And it could be that you're here because of a rash decision or some bad counsel or advice. There's an abortion in your past. And you've lived under that weight for years now. And you've heard me say that it's wrong and it's a sin. But I also want you to hear me say that God forgives. God is a God of grace. And if you turn to Jesus Christ, you will experience forgiveness. Because, listen to me, Jesus died for that sin on the cross. And not just your sin, my sin too. You're surrounded by sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Jesus is our only hope. 